Ronananian. The number one most annoying thing that people seem to do, if there is one number one, it's they always tell you one last thing after the car is done. Hey, your car's all done. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you about the wipers. The car doctor. It's just something to point out that heat is what kills trans fluid, and that's what brings the trans to a shorter life when it's not serviced. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to talk to you about your car and its problem, whatever you got going on. Don't forget cardoctorshow.com. Get out to the Facebook page, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. And if you're a podcaster, get out to, well, go in through cardoctorshow.com. Click on podcasts. It'll take you over to Spreaker or TuneIn or wherever you're going. And please click subscribe. We appreciate it. Let's kick the doors wide open and... And um, let's get over and talk to Dean in Long Island, 87 Monte Carlo. 87 Monte Carlo. Good gosh. So, great car. Great body style that year. So, what's going on, Dean? What can I help you with? Uh, yeah, I have an 87 Monte SS. And, um, like, I totally did a full restoration on the car. Um, I have everything done the way I like it. The car is almost pretty much like showroom. But um, I have the windows. I can't get them to sit right. There's, like, five adjustments on those doors. But... I played around with them. I've actually had experts, supposedly like glass guys, come over. A couple old timers who said they were very familiar with the G body style, and I had them try to make adjustments on it, and they couldn't even get it straight. I also had it brought to um, a restoration place, and um, he was pretty good. He came close, but he couldn't get the seal on the window. I owned the car. Back when I was in my early 20s, I bought a brand new, the 87 SS. So I know at one point those windows did seal. But with the new gasket, I guess, when the car was brand new, it had a lip that overlapped the window, which made it make a nice seal. But now with all the weather stripping, they're they're coming close with it, but it's just more like a a flush mount where there's no lip hanging over the window. So you really can't get a good seal. But like I said, even those adjustments are, you know... I, I, I just can't get to see and, and you and, and you changed all the rubber seals, right, Dean? Uh, yes, I did. And and they're 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 an aftermarket company rubber seal. Uh, they're yeah, not. I think one was like um, steel something steel yeah. rubber steel rubber. I think it was. I got to tell you, I'm not a I'm not a fan of steel rubber. I I, okay. I purchased a few pieces of steel rubber for the hot rod. You know, I did a '55 Chevy and a couple of years okay. back, and I purchased a few pieces for steel. And I don't get what all the fuss is. I don't see why everybody raves about them. I after the third piece that didn't fit and didn't work, I threw it out and just went looking elsewhere. It was just garbage. Uh, it was close but no cigar, and that sort of sounds like what you're going through. Um, right. I, I ended up I ended up finding I was working with or I worked with a local '55 Chevy parts seller, uh, Mario and Donna out of Garfield, New Jersey, and old '55, and you know they knew what worked and what didn't work, and they got me and they. They weren't keen on steel either, um, so you know that could be part of the problem. Uh, you know, it's those adjustments are there. I know the adjustments you're talking about. They set the height, the tilt, and the angle of the window, right? So right. as it comes up, see my other my other theory was, you know, maybe somebody replaced the glass at one point and it doesn't have the right curve to it, or I thought maybe the um, 
hinges for the for the door jam itself, maybe those are, but everything's straight. You know, right. I mean, you know, and right. And the basis point here is with the window down, with the window open. How does the door close? Does the door line up on the on the you know on, on the pins? Does it you know do the hinges look right? Are the gaps on the body panels are they all correct? And yeah, it, all, all the lines that go around the door look perfect. Right. Um, the car has striping on it. The striping is all even throughout the whole car. The seam underneath the door where the body's A-frame kind of attaches to, you can see that's a straight line. So the door between the fender is, is a nice line. It's not too wide. It's not too thin. Then the one on the opposite hand, side where the handle is, that seems to be like uh, a nice even line on it. It's not too close. It's not too far away. But when you close the door, when the window's open, the door seems to close fine. But then when you close it, when the window's up, it, it either catches or you got to give it a, a second or a third kind of close on that to get a little off in it, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I think you're going to have to look for a different rubber. The rubber, it sounds like the rubber is too thin at the top, and now they've got the window overextended that it's too high against the roof line and now it can't tuck under the roof line as you close it i would right you know i would i would jump out on ebay and whatever it costs just buy nos body seals you know gm stuff and and i think that's the only yeah, you know i've go. seen it once or twice on there and they want like eight hundred dollars just for um two window seals N and now you know why they'll fit so and, right. <laughs> yeah, you know i wouldn't mind paying the money if i knew it was going to work right i kind of think i need somebody who really knows G bodies and knows how to set those windows. Well, you know, let's because, let's, you know. You know, let's do this. There's so many forums out there. All right. There's you know I'm a I have a first generation Monty seventy seventy two. Right. I have a seventy two, but there are, right. I know there's enough forums out there. Or call you know uh, original parts group. Call OPG, OPGI and talk to them. Talk to their tech support and ask them how do your body seals stack up? Because I believe they make right. them for I believe they make them for the G body too. Or are there enough G body builders out there that you know you can go that route. You can do the research, but just be prepared. I think the ultimate answer is unless somebody's got a better aftermarket body seal, I think what you're going to find is you're going to end up having to get the NOS stuff because there's just some things in the aftermarket that I've been very disappointed with that they just don't manufacture as well. So do that. If you have any other problems, um, you know, by all means, give me a call back. When you get the car done, send us a picture. I'd love to see it. Let's get over and talk to Joe in Maine, 73 Javelin, and uh, some questions about uh, reviving this car. Joe, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, good afternoon, Ron. Thanks yes, for taking the call. You're welcome. Um, so I bought this uh, 73 Javelin last fall, and it had been sitting in a garage in Texas for probably 15-plus years. I got it home, and I'm going through the car end-to-end, -end, and I'm trying to figure out if I'm missing anything on what I ought to be checking and replacing. I haven't really driven the car yet except across the yard. What, um, what, what part of Texas, Joe? Uh... Good no, question. Northern Southern. It was dry. Yeah, that's, and that's why this, I'm asking. That's the answer to the question. Yeah. This thing has got almost zero rust on it. I haven't broken a bolt on it yet. Isn't it amazing? I took the Monty apart. I've got a 72 Monty that was in Menard, Texas, which is 300 miles northwest in the middle of nowhere of Houston. 
And I just took the front end apart this week, and everything came apart. Ball joint studs, uh, um, you know, tie rods, everything just came apart. I mean, I got a lot of Texas dust on the floor of the shop this week. Uh, which, yeah. you know, the amount of dust and sand they have in Texas is kind of staggering. But, um, yeah, it's just it's amazing. It's refreshing to buy a car like that. I Listen, I think you're doing it right. I, I'll tell you what I did with the Monty. I'm going through the brakes. I'm going through the front end. I'm just cleaning everything up to my to my liking. There's not a whole lot more. I, you know, the engine runs by itself. I changed the oil. I'm going through the cooling system, putting belts and hoses on it, and I'm going to go through the fuel system and rebuild the car, but I'm going to drive the car. There's not much else, really, it needs to do. You know, I did all the driveline fluids. Um, it, it, automatic or stick? It's an automatic. So the only other thing I would tell you, and I... I, I caught this by dumb luck i serviced the trans on the monty and you know you would never think of this because here in new jersey we don't see a lot of of this problem but i went to put fluid in the trans and i couldn't get fluid to go down the funnel and it kind of went glub glub and i went oh the vents clogged right the, yeah. the, the the vent on the trans and sure enough i lifted it up there was a pack of dust and mud over the vent tube on the, on the side of the, you know, I picked my hole through, and all of a sudden the trans blew it all whoosh, right in. So, you know, thank God I didn't drive it like that because I would have put so much pressure in the trans, I, I either would have pushed the fluid out the dipstick tube or something else uh, catastrophic. I, I think you've just got to drive it. I think you've just got to, you know, get it to the point where you're satisfied. You've changed all the fluids. You've looked through the brakes. You've looked through the front end. It's safe. Pull the seats out. Yeah. Make sure there's no animals with holes, homes under there that they're going to get annoyed at you when you start driving it around and come up on your lap while you're driving. And, uh, you know, keep it close to home and, and, and see where it goes. Yeah, you know it's 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 what I call a rolling restoration. You don't know how long it's going to take, and you don't know when it's done for a while until you get some mileage under it and you get comfortable with the car. I mean, it's exactly. as simple as that. Don't. But I wouldn't take too much apart if it's an original low mileage car. I I I really think unless you're going to do an all out 100 percent restoration, most of the parts on the car are probably better from 50 years ago than they are what we're going to go buy today. And that's right. the truth. Yeah, I'm not I'm not doing a full yeah. full restoration. So all right, man. The tight. The tires on it were so dry rotted that one of them just exploded sitting in the Yeah, garage. and I and I get that. And you've got and you've got to change tires. It's oh, yeah. it's you know the Monte Carlo had an from a from an ex Esso gas station had an Atlas tire on it. You know, I mean, well, because back in the day it was Atlas tires. I remember that. You know, that was the big deal. Um, but yeah, it's you know. Uh, cars, they were so simple, you know. It's, this um, one is simple. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's that that'll be the one that you'll you'll survive Armageddon with, and you'll be the guy driving. So, but yeah, do that, Joe. Send us some pictures. Let's see what this thing looks like. All right. Okay. I'd love to see him, man. You take care. You have a good weekend. Enjoy the car. I'm Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Little GTO, you really looking fine. Three deuces and a four speed. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Welcome back. Let's get over and talk to John in Maryland. John, you're on with the car doctor. What's cooking? Hi, Ron. How are you? Nice yes, show. Thank you, sir. What's Good. What got? I have a 2006 Ford F-150. Uh, it's a 5.4. I'm having uh, electronics problems on my door module, you know, that does the windows, the mirrors, the locks everything okay it just it just nothing's working the only way i can get in the truck is either with the key or the fob 
And once I'm in the truck, no windows, no nothing. I can use the fob to open the doors, but I can't use the the oh, uh, control sir, panel. So this is good. It's a broken vehicle. It's 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 everything's yeah. broken already at this point. It's give me a broken yeah. car, we'll fix it as long as it's broken. So what what you, what you've got to understand is you know this is not this is not old school. This is believe it or not the first thing I would do on a vehicle like this is scan it for fault codes. All right, I would I would look to see does the can you talk to the body module? Can you talk to the instrument panel cluster? They run the majority of what you're telling me isn't working. The locks, the windows, uh, the mirrors, they run a lot of that through the instrument panel on that car. Uh, that is okay. that that is the central point and I would I would this is where you hear me talk about doing a central or a complete module scan. You know, uh -huh. this, this is where we hook up the scan tool and you know, what what modules have what fault codes in it? And you know okay. that'll give us a direction. Now the second thing we can do, all right, using a scan tool, give you an example. And I don't mean an OBD2 scan tool. I mean we want to be specific, year, make, model. The second thing um, we can do is go into either in the body module side or in the IPC side. I am almost certain you can go and look, and it'll have a comment there about driver's door switch on off, passenger door switch on off, and so on. You can actually test the switches through the scan tool. Does it see? If you push it down, does it see on? Does it see off? Um, and that'll at least yeah. give you a direction. At the point where, you know, if you push down on one and you don't get response, but you do on the other, then we got to hit a wiring diagram. Do we have broke? We can still have broken wires in the door jam. That's, that's not an impossibility. All right? Uh -huh. But what I, what I sort of think is going to happen is I think you're going to find out that you've probably got an instrument panel cluster fault, probably a B1360, which would not be uncommon, and the diagnosis is going to port toward, point towards a cluster. So a yeah, couple of things to do here before we run out and buy a new truck. All right? Okay. <laughs> let's, 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 let's get it somewhere. Let's do a scan of the vehicle, what codes are being reported. Any codes, yeah. deal with them appropriately. No codes, mm -hmm. now we can treat it like an old-school wiring problem. Do we have power and ground where we're supposed to? Last point, yeah. all right? Not uncommon for these vehicles to have problems with the underhood fuse box for the circuit being powered, the circuits you're having problems with, where the circuits uh -huh. will get burn spots on the contact tabs, all right? And, and, okay. I, and, I, and I have seen this more than, more than a few times where if you start to identify the fuses and don't do it yet, don't do it as a first step. You want to scan for codes first. Um, if, yeah. it, if it comes down to where you think you've got a power supply issue, think about even though the fuses are good, is there any carbon tracking or is there any corrosion on any of the fuse contacts in the underhood fuse box? Could that be causing the problem also? So Are they that, marked? Are they marked for their well, they'll, service? Well, there'll be a legend on the fuse box cover, and you'll need service information to correlate the legend to what circuit they're actually protecting. Nothing yeah. simple. Nothing simple, John. So You know, uh, it's funny. Somebody put, I don't know if it came with the truck. I bought it used. But it had a remote start. That died. About a year later, the stereo died. And now this is all dying. Right. So now, yeah, it might it might be related. <laughs> and you know what? When you take it in for service, make sure you make sure you if you're not going to do this yourself, make sure you uh, you know make sure you mention that to them. 
So, hey, John, stay on yeah. the phone. We're going to send you out a copy of OBD2, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy by Stephen Cook. Um, whether you work on the car or whether you want to just get more knowledge about how it operates, it's a great read. It breaks down OBD2 Diagnostics into simpler form and some of the test procedures. And if nothing else, it'll tell you if your mechanic's telling you the right things that he's testing, um, you know, and give you some more knowledge about the system. Knowledge is power, and that's what the car doctor is all about. Stay on the phone while Tom gets your information, and we'll get that out to you this week. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let's go over and talk to Jay. 93 Geo Metro and uh, some transmission issues. Jay, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, buddy. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, I, I have a 1993 Geo Metro convertible. Um, it runs fine. It's got like over 100,000 miles on it. You know, there's Suzuki engines in them. They run forever. Right. But the, it's the automatic transmission. And the problem that I'm having, you know, I could be driving this thing for a week straight and not have any problem with them. Then all of a sudden, they'll be going down the road, and I, it's like the transmission will slip, and I have no power whatsoever. I have to pull over the side of the road. A lot of times when I shut it off and then start it back up again, uh, it, it'll start working fine. But you never know when this darn thing is going to break down on you, so to speak. Right. Uh, right. I, I, I looked at some forms and stuff on geometrics. One of the things they said something about a some type of solenoid that's under the dash that could be causing something like that. Um, you know, I'm trying to cheapo this thing out so I don't have to replace the whole transmission. But uh, I just, you know, but you might have some ideas. Well, on. and you know, the fact is, it, it may not just be the transmission. It may be, and I, you know, when I see things that reset per se such that shutting them off and starting it up again, you know, causes the car to, 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 to run right. What is it, a 1.3, a 1.0? Which, which, which is it, Jay? Which uh, engine? It's a 1.3. Uh, it's a 1.3. You know, when I see things like that, I start to get suspicious about wiring and grounds and making sure that everything is good, clean, and tight, and, you know, it's, it's where it's supposed to be. Um, one okay. of the things I also try to point out, you know, part of any diagnosis Let's talk about what's bad, or I'm sorry, let's talk about what's good. What can you prove bad? What can you monitor, or what could your mechanic, you know, get you to monitor, um, you know, to tell you what's good when the problem happens? Can you get the problem to happen when it's at your mechanic, or is it, is it that random that it just... It's, it's, that, it's that random, but another, another thing that, that it will do, a lot of times you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll take off, and it won't kick into passing gear. And I'll have to take it and I'll put it in, like, the drive drive one or drive two or something like that and then shift to get it in passing gear. Do, do, this, time. do this this week, Jay. Listen to me because the clock's going to grab us. Do this this week and then call me back. If you can get it to happen this week, tell me if you think the car's in third gear. If the car's in third gear, if you think it happens again, can you manually shift it down to first and get the car to operate normally if you manually shift it? That's your homework. Do that. Call me back. I'm Ron Anady, the car doctor. Coming up next, Tim Richmond, first responder. We're going to talk about cars and accidents and how you get saved. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, we are back. You know, electric cars, accidents, the things that happen when things don't go right. Um, we recently ran across an article, Tim Richmond, he is a, uh, he's a first responder. He um, has been doing it, or he's just a retired uh, as a firefighter, now 27-year veteran up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Tim wrote a really great article about 
electric cars and his thoughts and what he's seen, and we thought it would be wonderful to get him up here to share it with us, and uh, we thank him for taking the time. Tim, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. Hey, Ron, how are you? All right. Um, good, good. good. Good article, brother. You know, you're talking well, about... Well, that um, was one... I didn't write that, unfortunately. Uh, I wish I did. Uh, I just happened to see it, and I popped it up on Facebook um, for a lot of my friends who are still uh, career firefighters, and uh, we're always trying to find out what's going on. Um, I will say that Tesla, uh, which was the subject of the... Uh, the post uh, is pretty good for first responders. They have some pretty good manuals online available. Uh, right now, technologically speaking, we're trying to keep up with everything. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, we do have iPads in all our apparatus now and all our command vehicles, so it's fairly easy to go online and look something up if we're stumped. But sometimes that doesn't work either, uh, especially since we deal with cars that are not necessarily in pristine shape. Yeah, well, yeah, at the point where, you know, the car is, you know, wrapped in half or impacted or somebody is trapped. And, you know, Tim, pretty I Pretty mean, much, pretty yeah. much. There's a lot of compromise, let's put it that way. Well, yeah, and I can't imagine, you know, you walk up to something that's stuffed up against a tree and you've got to, you know, you've got to get somebody out of it. Uh, you know, I mean, seconds count, right? You're trying to look up on your iPad, what do we do in this scenario or that scenario or... or yeah. Exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, uh, this is not stuff that most of us can keep in our heads. Uh, there's, uh, things change year to year, as you know. Uh, I have a son who's a, a, you know, a certified mechanic, and I wouldn't want his tool bill uh, just for the special tools he has to buy for every model year. Right. Well, and I think things, I think things change on a, on a monthly basis. I, yes. think, I think what worked in January may not work in February. In, in, in your scenario, you guys are dealing with real life and death. And exactly. You've got to be right. And, uh, you know, the problem, and the thing is, it's our lives that are involved, too, not just uh, the public that we serve. Uh, these cars are very, very dangerous to first responders if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know where to cut with a hearse tool. Uh, if you don't know uh, where the high-voltage wire is on an electric car, um, some of the most dangerous things now are, are the, the, with electric cars. You don't know that they're on and running, and uh, with these remote keys, even if they get a victim out, if he's less than so many feet away, that car is still going to run. And uh, so the first thing we do now is, is chalk the vehicle to keep it from moving uh, and running over one of us. Well, and, I, and I, I guess part of the problem, too, becomes if the person doesn't have the key on them and it's inside the car that just had the accident right. or, or in a pocketbook or in a knapsack and, you know, you need that to control the car, what do you do? It's not like the old days where you'd walk up to an accident vehicle and the key was in the ignition. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of different things that are involved. Uh, <clears throat> normally, you try to reach in through a window, turn the key off, uh, make sure the vehicle's in park. If if it uh, if you can possibly get the gear shift into park, uh, whatever. That's what we used to do in the old days. Then we'd cut the battery, uh, wait for any uh, airbag uh, capacitors to uh, discharge. Uh, and then take it from there. 
nowadays it's completely different. Um, if we're lucky enough to have PD give us a heads up as to what type of vehicle it is while we're responding, uh, we can hit the iPad and find out what the manufacturer recommends. Right. And again, even even with the same manufacturer, model year to model year, everything's different. Is you know, you, you know, you you had a long enough career, Tim. So you know, you started out. It was it was all gas engines, right? You were dealing with gas oh, yeah. engines, and you you look, yep. you look back at that now and say, boy, those were the good old days, right? You know, a, a good simple gasoline engine fire, yay, right? Um, you know, something as simple as that. Uh, yeah, you, you, you could, 250 gallons of water and the fire went out. Right, you could deal with Properly that. Properly applied. Right, you could deal with that. Right, and then right, and then and then you know Toyota and Honda they had their 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 rechargeables and you know the Prius versions and the Honda Insight. And those are probably the cars that first turned everybody's head that it was a combination of the internal combustion engine and battery. Right. And that probably looks pretty good right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. Right? For sure. One of the other problems that people don't even think about is the fuels, uh, even with an internal combustion engine. The addition of alcohols to the fuels. Um, alcohol, if, if somebody is, if you're using a... Uh, class B foam, let's say, to fight the fire. Say you have a, a, a full gas tank that has been uh, compromised in a high-speed crash. You've got gasoline all over the, the road, whatever. First thing we have to do is try to, you know, keep those vapors from igniting, okay? And there are a lot of ignition sources on, a, on an automobile. Sure. Uh, everything from, from short-circuiting wires to uh, hot catalytic converters to you name it so you know possibly we might consider putting down a protective blanket of class b foam well unless it's an alcohol resistant foam the alcohol that's in that gas causes the foam to break down um, considerably quicker than it normally would and it doesn't do its job and it does it doesn't do its job as well right so again there, there's uh every I think progress could be considered two steps forward, three steps back, or three steps forward, two steps back for a net gain of one. Yeah, um, and then you uh, walk, and then you walk up to the car, and now it's all electric. Right. And and, and now the game is totally different. Now it's just right. is the car off? Where's the where where are the contact points? Where are the connections? Where's the battery? Right. Where's the battery? Um, yeah, it becomes very, very involved. Is it in a wheel well? Is it in a trunk? Uh, you know, today uh, you really don't know where they're putting their 12-volt batteries to operate their accessories. In most cars, if you disconnect, the, it, at least according to the manufacturers, if you disconnect the 12-volt battery, it automatically uh, disconnects the uh, high-voltage power supply in many cars. Right. But not all of them. Uh, but not all of them. Right. Yeah. Hey, Correct. Tim. Tim, sit tight. Let me pull over. Take a pause. Well, we'll I want to hold you over an extra segment if you have the time. Let's uh, let's let's keep going. This is good stuff. I'm Ron Andy, the car doctor, with Tim Richmond. He's a first responder, retired Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department, and uh, we're going to welcome him back right after this. Don't go away. Why well, this car is automatic? It's systematic. It's hydromatic. Why, it's a greased lightning! Greased lightning! 
Hey, welcome back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. We're here this hour talking with Tim Richmond, retired Bridgeport, Connecticut firefighter, and a first responder that's um, got some insight into, well, when you're approaching that vehicle on fire, what are some of the things you need to do, and uh, what are some things you need to do to save somebody as a as a professional? Tim, uh, y- you know, when you walk up to that car and you're, you're thinking about the 12-volt system that's, you know, powering the engine perhaps or, or running, what other concerns are on your mind? Some of the accessories come into play with that 12-volt feed too, correct? Oh, there's a lot of things that come into mind. Uh, first of all, if, it, if the vehicle's on fire, uh, it's how we approach the car. We try to approach the car from an angle, 45-degree uh, uh, angle. Uh, if it's an engine compartment fire or something like that, uh, there have been first responders with older cars especially uh, that have got the gas struts in the front bumper. Right. And when those become heated, uh, they can shoot that bumper out uh, like it came out of a cannon. Wow. Uh, any gas strut, uh, something as simple as the gas strut that uh, holds the hatchback up. Yeah, I was going to say, the hood supports, they've got to be like, right. they've got to be like rocket ships. Exactly, exactly. We actually had a, a kit at a car fire drill one time. Um, <laughs> this was quite a while ago. Uh, they went into the thing and uh, set it on fire. They did not... Uh, remove all the struts. There was one strut that they didn't realize, and that thing came out like a rocket. I believe it was the uh, the hood strut. Came out like a uh, a rocket. Hit the kid in the leg. Luckily, there was uh, it wasn't any serious injury or anything. But uh, they can be very very dangerous. Uh, unexploded airbags, uh, another big problem. Um, those things. If if you're in there trying to cut a victim loose, and one of those goes off. It's like going three rounds with Mike Tyson. Right, right. And uh, it's not a a pleasant thing. Uh, I've seen demonstrations where a 55-gallon drum was put over an airbag and it was detonated and it popped that thing up uh, about 15 feet in the air. Right. Yeah. Well, it goes off like a shotgun blast. Oh, absolutely. You know, it'll. it'll, I've seen it where they put the airbag upside down, so it'll, it'll go up. It'll go up probably close to 50 feet. It's, yeah, it's yeah, and then some. Yeah. So. Uh, the other issue we have is flammable metals in cars today. Um, if you, you know, the rule of thumb is anything with UM on it is a flammable metal. Uh, magnesium, aluminum, lithium, anything like that. And you're seeing more and more of those, uh, that stuff in cars today, magnesium especially. And when you hit magnesium with water, uh, it's like Fourth of July. Uh, that burns so hot when it does get going that it actually separates the oxygen and the hydrogen in water uh, until you get enough to really cool things down. And it's uh, quite an eye opener. Tim, can you? Is there is there anything the listeners can do to increase their their odds of surviving that crash? You know, and, and what I'm thinking about specifically is. I come from the day when they said nothing on the back deck of the car, nothing you know in the back seat. Everything in the car, if it's not tied down, becomes a projectile. And you it appro- does. It, it becomes a missile. And, and, uh, and you approach some of these cars today, and there's so much stuff in the car. It's it's got. And make- I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. I mean, I I have uh, two working vehicles uh, that I've constantly got you know unsecured or semi-secured stuff in there. Uh, the biggest thing is, don't make yourself a missile. Use your seatbelt. Right. 
Uh, Seatbelts do save lives. Seatbelts and smoke detectors, <laughs> they do save lives. Um, a seatbelt will keep you from being ejected. Um, it's amazing. The Connecticut State Police do a, a great program. Uh, they actually have the body of a car uh, connected to a motor, and they rotate it. And they put dummies in the, the vehicle, and it's amazing watching these dummies that are unsecured. Uh, they weigh 180 pounds apiece, the adult-sized ones. They get shot right out of an open window um, like nothing. If they're looking for volunteers, I can probably set you up with Tom. He's got nothing to do to say for me. Um, I know a few people who yeah, uh, I would uh, vo gladly volunteer. You know, Tom, but, Tom, uh, Tom's shown up here a few days. I think he's been in that program, I've, uh, <laughs> judge, judging by his reaction to what he's uh, he's, he's. But anyway. Um, but uh, well, I'll, Tom goes through Connecticut on a regular basis, and uh, we have a major league pothole problem here. So I'm surprised he hasn't been ejected yet. I know right. he uses his seat. He does. So. He's a good driver like that. So let me ask you in our closing minute, Tim. Is there is there any particular websites? Is there is there a good source for information maybe surviving a crash or you know is there is there a crash basics 101 for everybody you know what kind of message can we give the folks out there actually there's there's not nothing that i really know of per se for surviving a crash i'm sure that if uh, you know google is your friend today right and i'm very sure that if if uh, you googled it and followed a few links uh you, you'd find some great answers to uh individual questions that you might have. One thing I would suggest that people do carry, uh, they make a simple device that is a combination hammer, yeah. uh, window breaker, uh, seat belt cutter, whatever. And having something like that, should your car go off the road and you go into water, uh, and I've been to several of these uh, where you know, you need to disentangle yourself and, and self-extricate. Uh, it's very, very helpful to have one of these things. Right. Yeah, I've seen those, and I think they're a great idea. Tim, we got to leave it there. We're running out of time, but we appreciate you taking the time, and we appreciate what you and everyone out there like you does to help keep us safe on America's roads and highways. So you take good care and have a good rest of the weekend, and thanks for the information. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We are back right after this. back. Running in the car doctor again. Thanks to Tim Richmond, Bridgeport, Connecticut, first responder and fire department member. We, uh, you know, it's got to be scary, right? You're running up to a car on fire. Gee, now what do you want to do? You know, it's, uh, how many seconds do we have to respond to this? And uh, like, holy cow. Um, interesting fix in Mitchell SureTrack this week. Uh, Mitchell SureTrack. Um, the real fix is up there at Mitchell One, uh, MitchellOne.com. Talking about lockup issues, I thought this was appropriate. We're talking about a lot of transmission issues this week here on The Car Doctor, and it talks about how nothing's more frustrating than going through an extensive repair and then not having the vehicle operate as it should. And that was the case where they point out a repair shop had repaired a 2007 Hummer H3. The trans wasn't going into lockup every time. They had gone through the trans was bad. They had rebuilt it, and they had gone through several versions of software updates and wiring harness repair. The vehicle was in really tough shape and kind of beat up and through the community of real fix sure track over at mitchell one mitchell one.com they are able to find out that fuses incorrectly installed and missing they inherited this vehicle they um recon reconnected and corrected 
the fuses that were missing and the vehicle worked as worked as was supposed to. Um, and all this kind of good information is over there at Mitchell1.com. You can find it for yourself out on the web. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anani and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.